Hey guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, guys, we are back. Mission Whitetail, one-year anniversary. Can you believe it's been a year? No, man, it's been flying by this and work and little guy. It's been quite a year, old boy. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, yeah, one year in, man, and lots of feedback, uh, really good stuff. Uh, Analytics-wise, we've had over 48,000 downloads between all the different platforms. Who would have thought two rednecks? Well, one <laughs> redneck. Yeah, hillbilly. <laughs> one redneck and one hillbilly from South Carolina would get that kind of traction. So I, I think a lot of it is is the guests that we've had. You know, we've had some good quality guys on. Um, you know, it's been a lot of fun doing this, learned a ton, been able to pick the brains of some of the best whitetail hunters on the planet. Um, I will say here in South Carolina, switching gears a little bit, it's gotten cold yeah yeah cold and pollen every yeah. freaking where i read something today that said uh <laughs> you know it's gonna be a hot summer when we get dusted with pollen and then put back in the refrigerator for <laughs> a week or two so it's, i'm sure it's gonna be a hundred in no time yeah i'm not looking forward to it them mesquites are gonna be something fierce yes they are but back back to the one year anniversary man i think what our plan is is to uh do the kind of the highlights yeah i know you've been working on that we're we actually the the podcast is going to drop tomorrow because we have been in ohio at a trade show and that went very well uh that was a it was a much smaller show than i had anticipated i don't think there was but about eight or ten rows how many yeah, about eight or ten, and it wasn't a long show. We're usually doing at least four days, and it was like two and a half. Yep, it was a half day on Friday, all day Saturday, and not even a full day on Sunday. Yeah, but we got to touch base with a lot of industry buddies and get together with them, and we did we did well for the days that we had available to uh, show the stuff off. What what I have noticed, you know, with Osseo, and obviously this is not a a podcast to talk about our, our gear and stuff, but it seems like the industry guys are now starting to pick it up and start using it, which yeah. is which is really rewarding to me when you get a guy that, you know, had never heard of Osseo, he's a professional, you know, he, he's with, say, a bow company or a stand company or trail camera company, whatever it may be, and they're, they're coming by the booth, you know, wanting to get outfitted in ICO, and that's that's super rewarding to see. And, and I think what's happened is guys have gotten it, started using it, and realized that, it, you know, it's, it's good quality stuff, and it's got a really good camo pattern on it. And, you know, it's starting to get traction, and it's, it's, it's humbling and rewarding and, and really cool to see. Yeah, it's crazy how many – people that came by all these shows came by the booth and were familiar with the product and the uh pattern already it's it's it just goes to show you that there's some word of mouth going um and not and not just the the advertisement um it's getting what is it called organic growth yes organic growth yeah and, and that's really good and we've got new products coming we're going to constantly be adding more and more stuff. We've got the the new collar design coming. We're going to re- probably release that middle of April. New fabrics uh, for some of the items coming. So show-wise, we've got here in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, this weekend. That's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then we take kind of a break and then pick it back up, I think, in Alabama, Georgia, july august or vice versa obviously those will be released on the on the social media platforms and then we can touch on them you know on the podcast before we go to georgia but if you're you're in south carolina and you want to come by and check us out this weekend we're we're in the canny building 
Yep. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. That's, we're, that's, we're in one of the buildings. Yeah, we're, Candy we're is in, definitely one of them. We're, we're in a building at the trade show yeah. in Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah, let's look around. Yeah, ask for directions. <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, uh, typical. What say you, Kev? Yeah, let's say you. I don't know anything. Um, And we got the new hats. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. For you guys that aren't looking on YouTube, uh, I am wearing the new ICO trucker hat with the OWL logo. It's a gray and black. It's kind of a light gray, pretty sharp looking. Mm-hmm. We got, actually got all of our hats in yeah. yesterday. We've got our all camo, that really lightweight nylon hat that everybody loves. That's going to be back in stock. The all camo trucker, the black trucker, and then this new one is is pretty sweet. Yeah. Already gotten a bunch of guys commenting on it, so excited about that. Uh, before before we dive into the highlights, and I, I think this is going to be really cool because we're going to go back to even the SEAL Team Six GBRS guys, yeah. Andre DeQuisto, Don Higgins, Adam Hayes. You know, hit hit with with everybody. Andy May, Justin Hollinsworth. Just go back through the the list of of a guys that we had on here i'm sure we'll miss a couple and no no offense to anybody but we only got an hour to do this but before we dive into that uh, you know as always want to try to provide value and just let guys know what we're doing right now in the season and it's funny the guys that are serious about it uh, it seems to be most everybody including you cole you know i'm, I'm hearing it from different places guys are working their butts off to find new hunting spots yeah yeah it's been been a little hard for me with the the trade shows taking up some of the weekends but as soon as we get that little break i'm gonna be wide open and and you were just up there kind of double dipping don't discuss that on the air (laughs) you weren't just up there double dipping (laughs) no i i I did I, i i got uh hooked up with a guy i got permission on a small farm that i don't i'm not gonna jinx it but but it it looks really good and then adam and i've got a lease and i think we're gonna add another little little section of that a little creek bottom that's by some no hunting that could be really good too so the adam hayes is that who you're talking about the one and only oh and i did the uh interview shoots for the team 200 stuff that was a busy day man yeah we got up early worked out then did a podcast for an hour at like 6 30 or 7 with big rendell and then went to the team 200 thing did the interview shoot there then came to the trade show and worked out all day and then stayed out to like 4 a.m I mean, it was Ixnayon. Yeah, it was. It was a late, 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 <laughs> full twenty-four hour day. Yeah, yeah, full, full, full. Anyway, <laughs> so back to finding properties, guys. It's it's time to be doing that. You know, you, you can parlay it with a turkey hunt or something. Turkey season's coming in, so if you you get some time and you can. You're, you're wanting to find a new state to hunt. Now is the time. And I, I picked up something funny. You know, I've always talked about reaching out to realtors, reaching out to the feed and seed stores, the taxidermist. You know, we've got a whole podcast on access. But I heard a new one the other day from, from Josh with the podcast we did up in Ohio. And he said one of his buddies, no matter where he goes out of state, he rolls into the barber shop and gets a haircut because that barber knows all of the the farmers. And, yeah, and, and there's he said there's normally in these smaller towns, you know, these smaller rural towns, the barber shop is kind of the hangout spot for the hmm. dudes. Now, me personally, I would have uh, maybe I could go in there for a shave, yeah, maybe but, a little <laughs> trim on the beard. Yeah, but they're not going to do much on my head. No, uh, but I thought that was a really good idea. Uh, you know, if you're going blind somewhere, but but you you don't need to go blind. You need to we we talk about setting goals all the time and figuring out exactly what you want to shoot, and then you, you devise your plan from that goal. If it's a 200, you you need to be hunting where 200s come from. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to you know like Rendell. You know, we we keep going back to him. I mean, he just up and moved from Tennessee to Iowa. Yeah, it was that important to him. He lived in a campground for six months. Yep. So I, I mean, that's an extreme, but 
if, if your goal is a 200-inch deer, you need to be looking at figuring out places to hunt in Alberta, figuring out places to hunt in Ohio, figuring out places to hunt in Illinois and Kansas. You know, that, that's where you're, you know, your best shot at that. If, if you're, you know, looking more 140, 150s and, and you're out of Florida or, or don't have very good spots in Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina that produce that kind of deer, you know, you, you might can get as close as Tennessee. You might can get as close in, as Kentucky. Kentucky produces some big deer, yeah. western Kentucky. So, yeah, I can't hammer it enough, guys. The, the work you put in now, the last thing you want to do is roll around October and not knowing where you're going or what you're doing and have to go off somewhere blind. So I know uh, hunting is not on a lot of guys' minds right now, but now is the time to be locking up those properties and unturn, uh, t- o- turning over all the stones you possibly can. Or you could be like Joe and just tag out on like, the first afternoon hunting in Kansas and then not know what you're going to do after that because you tagged out so fast. A good problem to have. Yeah. And, but, but, uh, that does not happen very often. No, for sure. I will take those every time they do happen, but normally it is a fight to the ever loving last minute. Especially when you drag me around with you. I'm bad luck sometimes. (laughs) Uh, Not bad luck. It's just, I think when you and I get together on a deer stand, the focus sometimes <laughs> is not on the deer. Like on a podcast? Yes. It, our hunts are sometimes derailed. <laughs> yeah. I think our brains just get derailed in general. Um, so what else? We got, we got a couple tune-up um, hunts that we're going to go mm. film. Good point. Yep. We're headed uh, April 2nd to do some axis deer and, or hopefully a, an axis deer, one of those, and maybe a couple turkeys in Texas. We're going to hunt a ranch that is it's one of the prettiest ranches I've ever been on. It's full of live oak trees, and obviously, Kevin, you'll be running the camera and get a lot of pictures yeah. of that, but it'd be cool to see how the ICO does in those live oaks. It's right by the King Ranch in, in uh, just a little bit north of McAllen, Texas. That's a pretty ranch. And then we're going to head up across the border to hunt a bear up north of uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And, you know, I, I haven't been a, a super passionate bear hunter. You know, I shot, I've shot two of them. One really big one you might can see over, over my left shoulder. Uh, you, you know, it was a, a big Boone and Crockett that I got with, actually with Adam Hayes. He was filming that hunt for Team 200. And I just, since that hunt, I hadn't, I hadn't had the bug bite me and, and got invited actually to come up to this place in Saskatchewan and hunt. And the beauty of it is we're going to be able to scout for whitetail spots while we're up there. Double uh, dipping again. Double dipping again. Maximize your time. You go on the family vacation to Iowa and you <laughs> to look at corn. <laughs> look at corn and you do some speed scouting and uh e-scouting while you're there uh what else uh we're gonna be doing once we get this trade show break we'll be doing a bunch of testing videos again those are coming mechanical broadheads we're gonna do new bows new bows mechanical broadheads look at some arrow stuff lot lot coming mobile setups yeah uh, oh I, you know what i forgot to uh talk about and and we'll get off of here and, and get into the highlights because i'm sure that's what a lot of guys are, are looking forward to but mission whitetail update we're going to be doing a bi-weekly video series mm-hmm. for mission whitetail about especially now that the trade shows have stopped and we've got time so the podcast is going to launch one week or and then the following week we're going to have a video series that launches and basically it's going to be taking our our guests the followers through the entire process through through video of preparing for the season everything that we're doing that week or that time of year we're going to document all the way up until we start hunting and then we'll, we'll have quite a few of the hunts that'll drop on there too throughout the season that'll be your hunts my hunts uh you, you know some of the some of the guys that work with osseo gear will we'll get some of their hunting footage in and drop those hunts and and do a i think what will be different instead of you know for simply entertainment purposes is is really do hunt breakdowns yeah i learned so much from those i don't care who who does them you know it it is so it, it opens your eyes 
to, to how guys got it done on particular deer and when they can walk you through the entire process, you know, from, from on that hunt breakdown, it really, really educates me. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter who shoots it or where they shoot it. If, if they've spent the time, you know, something that's not potluck, but Hey, I went in and tried this. It didn't work. I tried that. It didn't work. I ended up setting up over here and you know he he came by on a northwest wind which he, he you know he he always walked on that wind whatever i'm just throwing out hypotheticals yeah there's always something to gather from those hunt breakdowns or just stories that we hear from from guys at these shows um i'm always trying to like andre said andre de Quisto, he it doesn't matter who you are he's listening and he's trying to gather something just the smallest piece of information that'll he can put in his playbook to help him yep. out one more nugget one more feather to put in your cap well i think that'll transition us over man to the to the highlights guys once again thank you all so much one year in over forty thousand downloads an incredible year we're humbled we're appreciative we'll, we'll do a bunch more q and a's coming up this year i think the video series with mission whitetail is going to be neat yeah you're, you're going to be well i guess we ought to talk about your new position with with ICO real quick too yeah Kevin's uh Cole who who some of y'all have met on the road will be taking over kind of the operations uh, of the day-to-day of of ICO the customer service side of it Kevin's going to be transitioning more into content creation I think you're excited about that yeah that's kind of more my speed there um so yeah really really excited um I'll hopefully be able to get out a little bit more and and get some of my own content for this, you know, every other week kind of show that we're doing. And, and yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun just showing kind of like the day-to-day um, Mission Whitetail process. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what it is, right? It's yep. a, it's a, it, we're on a mission for these big whitetail deer, and that, that, we're not going to get away from that. Uh, you know, we're going to keep – stay in the course and and uh you know sponsor free and and everything we bring is is authentic and real and and try not to cloud anything with with those outside forces pushing on us and yeah guys thank you again we we greatly appreciate it and any feedback hit us up uh instagram handles again joe miles hunting kevin b hunting uh mission whitetail is just that and then osseogear.com is our website Without further ado, here come the highlights. We sit down with the guys from GBRS Group. And guys, if y'all don't know who they are, you need to look them up. These are some of the baddest dudes on the planet. They're medically retired SEAL Team 6 operators and just incredible guys with a wealth of knowledge. Just from a daily perspective on whatever you're doing, that, that's what was just, it, it was, it, it blew me away. And I literally, I think the first time I came up was in July. Whitetail season started in August, and and I caught myself numerous times saying, you know, no, this is the way that needs to be done. You know, whether it was cutting a limb down or, or you know, getting fresh batteries for a trail camera, changing arrows out, whatever it may be, and I had my best whitetail season ever. Now, you know, there's some obviously some luck that played into that, but I was super disciplined this year and, and really paid attention and, and upped my game. And so I saw, I mean, obviously it's apples and oranges, what you guys, you know, did do as far as the military and, and going after, you know, highly dangerous people. But the mindset and the way you approach things is very parallel to what we do at, at a high level of bow hunting. There's, I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah, I think one of the things I heard you mention a couple of times that I think you learned from them was mission planning, right? Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you kind of, and how did you get that from these guys when you were up here? Yeah, you know, so, so mission planning for Whitetail is when, when you when you get to a level where you're really after the, the top tier deer, um, you have to have a plan. You just can't go out there and haphazardly go into the woods and think it's going to you know, come together. I mean, you've got to have a plan from trail cameras, how you're going to get in the woods, where you're going to hang your stand. I mean, it goes endless. And, you know, you said to me, you need to get mission planning for, for whitetail. That's, that's what we can help you with from, from a, from a mindset perspective. Well, I mean, you know, 
you're already doing it at a super high level. I mean, these these hunts you do, I mean, that's world class expedition style stuff. So you, I mean, you already do it, but a lot of people don't have a, a formula or a metric to transfer it to the next guy. Like I'm just super successful because I'm I'm OCD about everything I do. But sometimes you forget the things you do naturally. Like I have to tell this dude all the time. Like we'll be teaching something and he's ambidextrous and he forgets that no one else can do that. Like you're doing it so fast. You have to slow it down and really show them because you can do it both hands. Like the normal person can. And he makes it look so effortless. I'm like you don't realize how hard that is what you're doing. Like the details you go in with the hunt. We kind of back it up like I want to be in this position covering this swath at this time and we back up the entire timeline. Well, how long does it take me to get from my house to the point where I exit my vehicle? Well, 45 minutes. Well, now it's school on a Thursday. Now I've got school bus traffic. So now it's going to be an hour because if you miss it by 30 minutes, you know, you, it's, it's, over. A, it's over. Yeah. Like it's that planning. Like, you know, amateurs talk tactics, professionals talk logistics. Like you didn't equate that 15 minutes because you're out of fucking gas. Like a pro would have known that I was at a quarter of a tank. That's an hour long drive and I'm going to have to stop and get gas. Well, those 15 minutes just blew out my entire season. Yep. You know what I mean? Like I've been stalking this thing for three and a half weeks. Thanks, honey. No, I couldn't push mow the lawn right now. I have to leave. Now I've got gas scented on my shoes. You know what I mean? Yep. Like every detail, it all matters. Like my wife washed all my hunting clothes and tied. I can't go hunting today. Like, a layman, I'd throw it on like, ah, I'm just going to send it. We no. can't send it. It's no, not worth can't. it today. Like not cutting out that one limb right now. It won't be better tomorrow. It won't be better on Wednesday when he gets in your stand. It still won't be clear. Now I've got to lean over. I've got to take this random shot. And now I miss. Like I just blew a three week essentially mission because I didn't want to spend 15 minutes I didn't want to save it today and go home and get my song, come back tomorrow, do the prep work. It's like, that's what I wish I would have done my entire career. If I had a time machine, I'd go back, I'd redo it all. I'd be more detailed. I'd be more meticulous. I'd be more purposeful in everything I did. But yeah, it's like, that is the mission plan. It's all the things that you don't think really matter until you have to be there at 1201. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you got a thermal shift with the with the wind, and, and there's there's so much we could go down a huge rabbit hole. But but that is, you know, with, with your mission planning, our mission planning, it is the details. It is absolutely the details, and a lot of guys miss that. You know, and and yeah, you you don't you know, guys will say, why do I need to do that? I'm going out to my tower stand and my blue jeans and my white t-shirt, and that's absolutely fine. You know, guys do that all the time and yeah yeah they they get a deer here and there but when you're going after a seven and a half year old buck that's seen every trick in the book if you're not doing that you, you good luck and if if they would say okay i'm training today with my bow because i'm going to be hunting a 200 inch whitetail you know a giant an absolute record book deer and if they took that approach you hear it all the time oh this big deer showed up on camera on my trail camera I need to go start shooting my bow in the backyard. I need to put some silent tape on my lock on stand. I, I need to get new arrows. It's passed you by. You've got to have all that geared up. So every decision you make is you're after the 200 inch deer. Because if you, if you take that approach, when he does show up, you're going to be ready. You know, you're, you're going to be in the game. One of the things we talked about last night, like the visualization, like you can paint a lot with the conversation. Like if I had never seen a deer, I'd never been to a zoo. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I really want to shoot one. Like I really do. Like I, I've seen one in a picture, but I've never seen it. By the time I actually get to that point, it, I'm going to be so amped up because I don't know what I don't know. I think you could solve a lot of that with super in-depth training. Like all the stuff he doesn't know he needs, like to really paint it, drawing it back and anticipating the buck fever to set in like, understand what that's going to feel like to let them know like your heart rate is going to be at 180 dude it's going to be so when it happens don't be surprised like you're not freaking out you just settle take a breath like you know you can hold that bow at full drawback for a minute 40 before you really start to feel fatigue like you've got time just chill take a breath but as you're talking through it every time he's burning realistic reps like how many times do you sit there with that thing drawn back and just you're a pro so you can calm yourself down but i can't like, I don't know what that looks like. You've got to paint me the picture. And if you paint it really detailed, 
it's like I'm there. Like you can make training so realistic that at a certain point up until said act, like he's not going to know the difference because he's prepared for it. It's like we can shadow box for, for a long time. Once we start sparring, we get better and better and better. And then when game day finally comes, like you put everything together. But yeah. I think the visualization, like that's a, you see skydivers do it all the time, like in the plane, just every, everything they're about to do, like eyes are closed and they're going through it in their mind. Every ounce of it, the timing, the cadence, everything. It's like visualization is a huge thing for me. We got a really, really special guest today, Andre DeQuisto. Can you break down kind of what your approach is when actually the season comes in and you get started, you know, when it's early season, mid-season rut, and then post-rut, kind of, you know, I know this will probably take a little while, but, you know, start with the early season and, and what you're doing that time of year and then how you transition into the mid-season or pre-rut and then rut and then, you know, finish out the season. Can we, can we dive into that a little bit? Yeah, it's going to be – I'll try and make it kind of quick. So, um, this year I tried to do – so, you know, we still have whitetail addiction shoals, and, and, and that what I tried to do is actually uh, – scrape hunting is a lot popular. I think a lot of guys just – are or keyed in on one thing of it. So I was trying to shoot a deer on a first go around scrapes, that second run of scrapes, and then actually almost got a third one done on scrapes, which are like when the rut's done and there's uh, still a couple going in uh, to heat. So I like experimenting with things. I like, um, um, I've experimented with rattling, all different types of things. But what's worked for me all these years was a complete and utter surprise. Um, so to start out the season, I need to know where, a target buck is and if i don't have a target buck that's when the boots come on and when i get aggressive and i need to find a target buck now with the you know cell cameras available um you got some private leases and pieces and other you know other guys that'll tell you where those deer are at uh that makes it an easier easier starting point uh early season green fields um pecking order i don't have any uh states that i hunt early enough now one of my favorite times to hunt would be early September bachelor groups. It's like taking candy from a baby. If you have that licking yeah. branch at the property, you got the mother load of deer there that you can, you can go after. Uh, what happens here, October one, a lot of the leases I have in places that I hunt are October one. And, and it's like a, a light switch that, uh, that's just a couple days too late and it's, you know, and it could be over. So then we, uh, uh, a lot of these big bucks that I've noticed over the years, and people probably don't realize that the most one of the most important times for them to feed up heavy is from like opening up to the rut. And these big bucks will find a sanctuary, a piece that they're you know, not getting disturbed. And that's all they got on their mind is just putting on a feed bag uh, and loading up. So a lot of these green fields, if you can keep them isolated, a lot of those deer are coming out there. You don't see a huge buck put his head down for like 10 minutes, not even pick up to look around, just keep shoveling her down. So, um, and the motto for me too is all through the season, food, food, food. Okay. I think a, a white tail just his whole life revolves around food. I understand it more now because my life revolves around food. So I, I know how it is now. <laughs> no matter yeah. what's going on, food is key. Um, so uh, green fields, what's nice about those, you have a lot of deer, a lot of other bucks. If you go into a certain area that has that and you got some vision, you can see like all the bucks that are in that area. You know how it is, beans early. If there's any any bucks anywhere, they're hitting them bean fields and they'll be in there. You can get a glimpse of them. So I like to take inventory while hunting at that time of year. Uh, and then as it starts to progress, uh, they get a little more wound up in the scrapes. I love hunting scrapes. It's probably right, you're a scrape guy for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's um I've seen more monsters on scrapes early October than uh than in, in years past. Now, Andre, will you will you throw a will you throw a camera on a scrape and 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 you know, get his picture and then move in, or this how do you how do you handle that? You, 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 know, you go gotta, out and you find Yeah, you almost gotta do that now. Years ago, you sat back in old school and you you just glassed these licking branches, you found where the where the deer are at. Now with cameras, um it's almost like cheating. I mean, you, you, you got your eyes on it, and there's so many scrapes around. The worst thing you want to do is, and a lot of guys will do is um uh that are looking for a specific specific deer would be to just hunt these scrapes and waste a lot of time on scrapes that are other bucks scrapes. Um, so you, you, you get on them, you'll have a deer come in, come through, you can kill, but it's not the one you want. So uh, these cameras are good. Once you locate it where a, a buck is bedding, 
normally you can figure out, you know, these scrapes are pretty close. Um, October, they're hitting them in the dark, so that's a little tough. Um, so it's real touchy there. Um, but I am probably as aggressive as you can get when it comes to hunting deer. And there'll be times in the October lull that I'm just onto all kinds of deer, lots of deer, and, and a lot of guys just aren't seeing shit. They're just not, they're not yeah. getting close enough. Um, these deer will spend most of their time close to food, so they're almost bedding and feeding in the same spot. They don't have a big movement. I always uh, like to associate it to like the spokes on a wheel. You know, the further toward that hub you are, that's where you need to be. The further out on it, the less you're going to see. And as that season progresses, that hub opens up and them deer move further. And you got that happening on your farm. You got it happening on other farms. And pretty soon it gets to toward the rut. And uh, there's just deer moving all the time. You're getting in good moon phases and everything's happening. So coming in uh, earlier, dominant deer seem to come out of the gate hard. It's their year. They're, they're getting their ass kicked by a bigger buck last year. Now they're, they're old enough. They can hold their own. And they come out of the gate super hard. Okay. So hard, they'll get a scrape coming so early. Those are really lethal if you can find them. But obviously no does are ready. So these deer will gear down, uh, they'll settle back down, and then they'll just start maintaining. Uh, and then, you know, competition plays in. If there's a lot of the same age class, phenomenal scrape hunting. If there's not, and the guy owns the whole park, he could take his time and, and check them at will a little after dark. Um, what I like is when you get about four good ones, big age class deer that are competing for the property, they really start trying to show each other up. So they'll, they'll be there early enough midday and it kind of opens that up. So, um, so we hunt those scrapes early, uh, we get that action and then it just goes dead. The does are starting to come in heat. You can sit those scrapes. They're, they're reopened up, but they're just at random and it's just, um, uh, it's a hit or miss type of deal. You now, know? when you're hunting over the scrape, do you, do you see a lot of the mature deer coming in a, a, specific way i mean are they no, are they always um, trying to get downwind of the scrape before they come into it or are they just hitting it no matter what however they yeah, want to come in there that's a fallacy i i think when them when they're nocturnal and they're coming into them there's a certain scenario they may it's like they're just lingering outside i don't know if you ever hunted bear with, on baits and stuff it's like a big bear just hanging down until dark uh and they don't come in there until dark uh but i've uh, learned early on that um if you're going to hunt a scrape Obviously, you're going to want to anticipate where you think that deer is going to come in and have your wind right. Yeah. Uh, but you're going to want to you're going to want to shoot that scrape. You're going to find yourself downwind watching a deer coming from an opposite way, work a scrape and leave the other way. So whatever geographically they got to get to to get to that scrape, they're going to come in and they're going to work it. You know. And and then so once the scrapes, you know, you start getting into the pre rut and then you know into the rut. Um, I, you know, the the, the first of November. I mean, you know, for, for me, that's a, that's a funnel time, you know, everything kind of shit goes out the window and, um, you know, get in the funnel and hold on and spend as much time in the tree as you can. I mean, that's always been kind of my philosophy. Um, that's a, ruts a lot on. of really successful hunters, um, even on our team have that same, uh, they're, they're geared toward the rut. Um, funnels are huge. Um, I don't pay as much attention to funnels. I've seen these big deer like avoid funnels, they come through, but it's such a, it's such a big swatch of an area where a majority of the deer will come through those. I think the funnels are good when you have a deer that's um, not a resident deer, doesn't know the area, and geographically he's, he's moving in cover ground. I feel blessed because my deer, my big deer are on my farm early through October when I like to hunt. When a rut comes, we'll have our bucks disappear for three, four weeks. If you don't get them before that, you're not going to see them until later season. So um, obviously that, that terrain features uh, as it gets, they're more aggressive and they're following those. Now those, those are coming through those pinch points. Them bucks, there's nothing stopping them from coming. They're coming through because they're, they're on their asses. So um, it's a great time of year and it's a very tough time of year for a guy hunting a specific animal. You need to be in that pinch point set up. So anything that comes through there, you can kill. Mm -hmm. and hope to hell he decides to come through there today because there's probably 10 other pinch points around the property that that same buck can go through and because there's no rhyme or reason to that rut um wherever the does and heat you know and then i actually started doing that start keying and, and following around um these does that are starting to go into heat um 
And that's almost like live bait for these for these big deer. Once they go in the heat, that's that's it. They're coming no matter what. We have a super special guest today, a good buddy of mine. We have known each other for quite a while, done some hunts together. Uh, we got hooked up back in the Matthew's dominant bucks days way back when uh, we got Adam Hayes here. Do you have like a light bulb moment that you can kind of recall where you had a successful hunt or, or maybe a, you know, got busted or something where you're like, okay, and kind of started putting everything together or was there somebody that taught you that? Yeah. My light bulb moment was the first deer that I killed that qualified for the Ohio big bucks club, which was 140 inches. I'm sure it's still 140, but I got sick of not killing anything good, you know, and I, I'd read every magazine I could get my hands on. And back in the day, you know, North American whitetail, you know, reading the stuff that Dick Idle wrote and the Winslow brothers really helped me understand what was going on. But it wasn't until that year that I went out in the summer, found a big deer glass in the bean fields and got permission, you know, where that deer was living, focused on that deer, um, you know, sat in a tree stand all July and August, watching that deer, figuring out what he was doing. And when I killed that specific animal and everything that I had done, you know, worked. And I just, that was the light bulb moment for me, really, you know, focusing on a specific animal. And, and that's, you know, a, a, that's a bunch of research. You know, you did a ton of research, Mac, you know, like guys do today. They get on YouTube. They listen to podcasts. They do a bunch of research. But until you actually get out there and do it, make the mistakes, put the plan in place, it fails, um, and then it does succeed, like you say, that's where it starts to come together. Take us through your early season, pre-rut, rut, late season, kind of – you know, I, I know this question's coming at you, putting you on the spot, but what is your, your process? Um, you know, you, you have, you found the deer in Ohio and you, let's just use that as a scenario. You found the deer and then, then let's do an example, like the last 200 you killed, because that's a pretty good story. Um, you, you found the deer in Ohio, you're getting ready to hunt him early season. How are you going to do that? You don't get him early season. What's your plan pre-rut, rut, and you don't get him pre-rut or rut? How are you going to kill him late season? Walk, walk, walk through that, if you will. You know, hunting specific deer, I really try to focus on early season and, and late season because, you know, when you're after a specific deer, you know what it's like in November. It's just next to impossible to try to pattern or predict the deer in November when they're breeding. So I really focus more on early and late. Um, and then I try to, uh, you know, do a lot of my out of state hunting during the rut, but for here at home, it's all about early season. It's about, um, you know, a lot of observation in the summer, you know, watching these deer from observation stands, a safe distance away, figuring out how they use an area. Break that down. Let me let me interrupt you. Observation stands. Bre bre explain that a little bit. Guys are going to be interested in that. I'm just talking about getting up in a tree or at a safe distance, two, three, four hundred yards to where you can watch, you know, a field, say a soybean field, and um, watch how these deer, the trails that they use, the winds they use to get in and out of that field safely because they're probably going to be using the same trails with the same winds during season. So, you know, whether I'm in my truck with a spotting scope 400 yards away or in a tree at the opposite end of the field with a good wind, you know, watching, but observing, scouting, you know, trying to figure out what they're doing. And, you know, my, my thought process with that goes back to a um, article. Actually it was a chapter in Jeff Murray's book, the Moonstruck book, when he interviewed Miles Keller, and he talked about hunting from the outside in where he'd start as far out as he could, you know, and just gradually work in closer and closer until he knew the exact tree he needed to be in to kill that deer. So that's, that's my, you know, focus and thought pattern, even in the summer is safe distance observation 
until you can figure out exactly where you need to be to kill that deer before you ever go in there and hunt. Because I'm sure you've seen this, you know, nine times out of 10, the first time you go into a spot is going to be the best time to kill a deer, bar none. So why would you go in there until everything's perfect and you know exactly where you need to be to kill him? Because if there's one difference between me and most guys, I'd say it's that toughest part about hunting a big deer is not hunting until everything lines up, you know. I don't I don't think I have any, you know, secrets about scouting that nobody else knows about or being able to read sign but I think I'm probably more patient when it comes to actually diving into that kill spot to kill that specific animal, because I want to know right where I need to be to kill him. And then I'm going to wait until I got the deck stacked in my favor before I go in there, go in there and hunt him. Unless I get daylight picture of that animal making a mistake during daylight. Like this buck I killed in Ohio last year. Killed most of my deer on the red moon. I followed the moon half for 20 years. I mean, that's why, you know, we bought the moon guide because it's something yep. to believe in. But I mean, just because it's not a red moon doesn't mean I'm sitting at home, you know, not hunting. And this buck last year was a deer I was waiting on, you know, been on this farm for four years and hadn't shown up. And third week of October, bam, just out of nowhere, he shows up in the corner of the soybean field, you know, Wind was terrible, moon was terrible, weather was terrible, hot. But, I mean, he showed up in daylight, and I dove in the next night and killed him. Is You've got to have a level of aggressiveness in your hunting, you know, style to be able to take advantage, you know, when a big deer makes a mistake like that during daylight. I mean, you, you can't just sit back and hope that deer is going to come to you. Sometimes you got to go to him. I know that Ohio, the bow season doesn't start – or the opener doesn't start till after they're hard horned. How long of a time frame do you have before they get off that summer summer pattern? You got to be there, you know, opening day, or do you have a couple weeks, or what's it looking like? Man, it really depends on the specific deer because I've hunted deer here at home that <clears throat> will be on their summer pattern, you know, into mid to late October. And then I've had some, when they shed their velvet, they're gone, you know, disappeared. So it really depends on the specific animal. I mean, if you've got soybeans that were planted late so that they're green in October, you got a good chance of those deer sticking around um, in that summer pattern, especially if you got oaks close by, because there's a big shift, you know, to acorns early season too. But um, yeah, it just all depends on the deer. And that's where your scouting comes in because, you know, a lot of, I talk to a lot of guys that fall into that same deal where you watch a buck do the same thing all summer long. And as soon as he sheds his velvet, he's gone. And they're just banking on that deer being there for the opener. And a lot of times what I've found that those bucks do is when they shed their velvet, they're back to their core area. And that could be, it could be a hundred yards, 200 yards away. It could be two miles away. And that's where your scouting pays off late season, finding the core areas where these bucks live so that when they disappear from their summer pattern, that's where they're going to go. And a great way to know when they make that shift and where they go is not only to find those core areas, but I like to establish mineral sites in those core areas and put a camera on it because I've had more than one big deer disappear from the summer pattern goes back to his core area and the first thing they do is hit that mineral site and if you got a camera there waiting for them you know what happened to them. Uh, I've got our good friend Don Higgins, Higgins Outdoors and Real World Wildlife Products uh, on us on this morning. Don thank you so much for being here. Well it, it can be a big game changer. I've, I've been deer hunting for about 45 years actually last season was my 45th so I'm getting ready to start my 46 years of deer hunter and in that 46 years the two biggest game changers that i've seen in the whole deer hunting industry or world if you will is trail cameras number one and food plots number two so this can be a real game changer on a property that's great well we're speaking of properties i think that's a good good segue into kind of part two of what what i wanted to talk about with you don is 
you know, Kevin sitting here with me, a young hunter, you know, he's got access to some permission spots that, that he can do, a, you know, a little bit on, you know, he could probably do some cutting, um, could do a little bit of planning, you know, but th these, these properties are, you know, 15, 25, 80 acres, you know, they're, they're, they're small properties. And, and I'll put myself in that category as well. You know, I have qu quite a few small properties that I can hunt that are way away from everything. Um, fr from a habitat standpoint, obviously on small properties, there's a, a limited amount that you can do. Uh, and, and you have probably covered this 50,000 times with people and, and I apologize, but, I, but I haven't heard, you know, what, what your take is on that. What is your advice to guys that have small properties that have the ability to do some, some habitat improvement? I'm sure you have that answer keyed up and ready, ready to go. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that one a time or two. Um, <laughs> I knew that know. was coming. <laughs> the uh you know the really the big thing when, when you've got a small property um human intrusion becomes even more critical than it does on a bigger property because you're you just you can't get away with anything um what you're allowed to get away with is so much less uh, you just can't make mistakes so you, you need to make that property as thick as possible if you've got the opportunity and you can go in there a chainsaw is a deer hunter's best friend if you can tr drop some trees and make it thick as could be, let some sunlight in, let that sunlight hit the ground and, and get some regeneration growing in there. I and mean, maybe there already is on the, on a specific property, but, um, you know, make it as thick as you possibly can. You know, everybody gets wrapped up in the whole food situation and, uh, they, everybody wants to plant a food pot. They think that's the, the magic bean, if you will, to killing big deer. And I'm a guy that owns a food pot seed company, you know, so, you know, I, I'm glad everybody's out there planting food plots, <laughs> of course. but I'm here to tell you, um, when it comes to killing big deer, a food plot is way down the list of, of priorities that deer, you, first of all, you need to, you need to be able to hunt him on the same property where he's bedding. And I tell my clients all the time, if you're hunting a deer that's bedded, just one property off the property you're bedding on your odds of killing that deer are about 10% what they are. If you're on the same property, if you're hunting the property where he's bedding and it doesn't really matter if you're hunting a big property or a small property, we need to try to get that buck that you want to kill to bed on your property. And that requires thick cover most of the time. And it also requires without a doubt everywhere, it, freedom of human intrusion. It doesn't matter if it's a five acre property or a 500 acre property you can ruin it with too much human intrusion. So, uh, you know, I try to, to hunt the edges only on small properties, let the deer have the heart of it because if it's a small property, even if he's in the center, he's not that far from me on the edge. And sooner or later, I'm going to get my opportunity hunting the edge. If I run into the heart of the property and, and try to hunt him there, I got about one or two good hunts and then boom, he's gone. And my chances are gone with him. So, uh, create some thick cover if you're allowed you know another when switching gears to food one uh, thing that you can do even if you don't own the property if there's any kind of ag field there at all especially in the south because you guys are planting your fall plots a little bit later and typically your harvest of, of grain crops is a little bit earlier than the midwest because you're planting a little bit earlier in the spring you can go into those um ag fields that are ready for harvest or have already been harvested and you can spread things like our southern blend or oats or or like that in that crop residue and and you can get a good food plot in, in an ag field that's being farmed and the farmer typically doesn't care at all because all you're doing is helping the field you're you're putting some organic matter back in there and before he plants next spring he's going to come in there and he's going to spray the weeds and he's going to work the ground anyway so whatever you plan is not going to be a big deal whatsoever. Justin, welcome to the show, man. Let's dive in, Justin, if we can, and, and talk kind of some, some tactics and, and kind of your, um, you know, Lone Wolf Custom Gear, obviously that's, that's mobile stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And I know you guys are big on mobile hunting. Um, that, that, I won't say it's relatively new in the South, but, um, you know, it, it is, I guess it is kind of new in the South. Wouldn't you say, Kevin? I mean, it's, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's um, so, so walk us through kind of your setup, you know, your stand, your sticks, how high you like to get, you know, kind of how you go through your mobile setup and, and, and help some of our listeners, you know, unpack that. Um, so the last couple of years, I've been running two, um, I've been running two 1.0s. I, I, I personally prefer the, the 1.0, um, uh, that or the 0.75. Uh, a lot of guys love the, the 0.5. Uh, it's a, it's a little small for me, for my liking. Um, I'm, I'm not worried about a couple extra pounds, you yeah. know, that whatever, you know, um, but my 1.0 is I've been packing the compact sticks. I typically always carry four um, with the eighters. On all four um, of them? You have them on all four, eighters on all four? I have, but now um, right here towards the end of the season, I went to three compacts with three eighters and then a double stick. Um, and I use my double stick as my top step. Gotcha. Um which I like that because if I get off one side or the other, like I don't have to think too much about, you know, you know, climbing down or, or just, or even setting up. It gives me that, just that little extra, you know, um, uh, room up there to be able to do that kind of stuff. I, I kind of like that setup. Um, I, but I, I, but I typically run three stands. I always have three. Yep three mobile setups in my truck. The other one I ran was a 0.75 and I ran the um, 17 inch doubles with that. Um, four of them. You me, would have four with that. Yep. yep. I always pack four. There's a lot of guys will pack two or whatever, but I, I don't know. I always like to have four because as soon as I pack two, I'm going to get to a spot and I'm like, that's the tree, but I can't get to the cover. Yep. I'm the hundred percent the same way. Yep. I still pack the original lone wolf sticks with mm-hmm. haters on the bottom too. And I take four of them every time I go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you really have to, because you don't know the situation and there's nothing worse than getting to a spot and being short of whatever it might be. You know, uh, you don't want to, I don't want to come back out. If, or you, if, you can always leave sticks laying on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. And I find myself doing that a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of times where I was only hunting two sticks high. I do think everybody's really going to want to pay close attention, probably get your notepads out. We've got Bobby Worthington. Bobby, what would you say, I guess, separates you from, from, you know, you obviously, you know, grew up doing it. You, you've, you've taken your, your, your hunting from, you know, regular deer quote unquote if you will regular deer to chasing the really the, the biggest deer you can find whether it's the midwest or there at home what, what would you say is is kind of the number one thing that separates you from the from the average you know weekend warrior if you will well you know passion and and hard work you know you got to have a real passion for it to do what it takes to kill big deer. Uh, if you don't have the passion, ain't nobody can give it to you, and you can't give it to yourself and hard work. And then learning how to do it. Knowledge is a, most people don't know the value of knowledge. Knowledge is a wonderful thing. But after you learn how to do it, there's a key element that most people miss. Other than the realization that we're accountable beings. The discovery of our own potential is the single most significant event in our lives. Uh, when you discover that you're correct and you discover your potential, that will give you confidence. And only until you have confidence in what you're doing can you proceed with, without wavering, without doubt, without flinching. And you, you'll get up in that tree when it's cold and, and day after day even though you've not seen a deer once you have confidence and realize what you're doing then you won't have any doubt and you will pursue that hard and you won't be getting down and, and from your tree and walking around and wondering am I doing this right mm-hmm. so once you reach a level and you really think about it and you realize how to hunt 
and then you know that that's the way to do it, then you won't waver. And that is so, confidence is so important. You know, I do a little white tail consultant. I'm working with Don now, but I used to do it on my own. And every time someone would call me wanting to pay me to go in the woods with me and learn how to hunt, of course, back in my early days, I'd, I'd done it for nothing, but it got to be quite a task. But I'd always think, now this person's been hunting for years, and we may get out here in the woods, and he may look at me at the end of the day and say, Bobby, I hunt just like you, and and I select my stands the same way, and I would have picked the same trees you, you picked. Now, that hadn't happened so far. Everybody's been amazed at what they've learned, but that, that can happen. And when it does, Joe, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to charge them double. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize at all because apparently they was doubting what they knew or they wouldn't hire me, and I have given them the confidence to quit looking around, to quit wandering, to get in that tree and to hunt. And in 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 deer hunting, the the realization of our own potential means that we're going to spend long hours in the tree, that we'll go in every day no matter how cold it is, and that we will not doubt what we're doing. So once you have the knowledge, you've got to realize that you are correct. And and it may and while it's so the reason it's so important is these big woods bucks they may not come by your stand the first day or the second day or, or the third day you may have to hunt a week straight and you may not see but one or two deer in some of these areas I hunt but if you've got the confidence that you are correct you won't waver you won't get down walking around screw your woods up you will keep it going and then it's just out of nowhere. There's not a gradual build-up. Just out of nowhere, he walks up and you kill him. And that's that's to me that's the most important thing of having confidence that that what you think you know you do know. And and I guess that you know that'll lead us. You know, I'm sure everybody that's listening right now is going, okay. Well, then you know what what would be the the things to get you in the right spot? And and obviously talking about it on a podcast is obviously a lot different than than actually showing people how to do it but i know you're you're a big funnel guy funnels are or i think what 95 percent of, of of what you do is get into the really the tight pinch points um is that fair to say bobby it is joe i don't know i don't know how else to kill a big wood deer i i, I have no idea how to kill big woods deer other than pinch points. Now I do hunt I do hunt sign if if the timing's right, but that sign that deer's corridor is gonna always be in a pinch point. If if I'm out scouting for a good a good pinch point and I find a big sign, I'll travel that sign until I come to a pinch point because I want to know where he's come to more than once. I want to know where two, two or more of his corridors come together. I don't know. I mean, how else are you going to hunt them? Are you, you going to hunt them where they're, where they're eating acorns? Well, I mean, a big buck during the rest of a, he might stop by and munch on a few acorns as he's cruising, but he's not going to, that's not a destination for him. He's traveling looking for does. Uh, now, if, you, if you're in a state where you bait, I'll have to say that that's another way you could do it. But I, I just, I just don't do that. I'm, and I wish more people would learn woodsmanship and learn how to hunt using the terrain and using good woodsmanship than the wood over baiting. But let's see. I just, I just don't understand. People say, well, I don't know where the acorns are on a given year. They change, and, and I'm not sure where the buck's bedding with. With the rare exception of maybe one buck, I've never known where the buck I killed was bedding. It's not like the Midwest where you can manipulate a patch of switchgrass and a patch of a good thick trees, and then you've got a food plot adjacent to it. Those those bucks will bed on points, and they'll bed at different places as the rut progresses, and they start traveling more and more in their home range. Without knowing where they're bedding, and without them coming to food I unless you're now you might have an acorn patch here and a material buck may be bedding 200 yards away and you might know it or might not know it and and before the rut he may walk in and get to that 
acorn patch with a, a white oak acorn strawberry trees. He might get there before dark, but that is just a fluke in the big woods that you would have a setup like that and know where that deer is at. We are back, Mission Whitetail. We've got Andy May on again. Is that something that you do as like a drill, Andy, during the off season is try to shoot without um, stabilizers on or shoot with one, you know, one footed, anything like that to give you more pin movement? Um, I will, I will, uh, I don't really take my stabilize, uh, stabilizers off cause I kind of want to just practice with the way I'm going to, um, hunt it. But I do often, um, put myself in like challenging positions to shoot because that's, that's kind of what I've, I always find myself in some sort of challenging position yeah. or some sort of awkward position when I'm hunting, you know, sometimes, yeah, you're sitting in, you're in the whitetail woods, you're in a hang on tree stand and the deer comes in right to your left side. And it's, a, you know, ideally just a sit down shot and, and that's fine. But, you know, when you're hunting from the saddle, sometimes you got to move a little more. Sometimes you're using a little more core stability. If you're on the ground, you know, you might be, I've, I've had to um, be at full draw and then, and then, squat down a little bit to make the shot under, you know, under some cover or when you're out West in the mountains, you got kind of uneven footing. And when I think about a lot of my shot opportunities, they're, they're never, ever just flat foot perfectly, you know, like you do in the backyard, they're always some sort of contortion or twist or something. So I'll do my tinkering and my testing on flat ground in the backyard you know, in my flip-flops or whatever. But then once I figure out what is, is shooting the most forgiving and what I have the most confidence in, then I go to more like real-life training mode, you know, shooting from the roof, shooting from tree stands, shooting from a saddle, getting on a side hill, putting my one leg up on a rock or a stump and and really challenging that. That's a great drill. The, the one-legged drill, standing on one foot, is a great drill to see if you're really focused on the right thing for a good shot execution because that will rapidly move your pin. And if you do that and your pins all over the place and you're like, you know, stopping and going, stopping and going and trying to time it. Well, it tells you right there that you're, you know, you're slapping the trigger and trying to time the release. But if you can just accept that movement and run a good shot execution, then, you know, that's, then you're focusing on the right thing. You're focused on, on actually executing a good shot and not worrying about what your pin's doing. Yeah, and that's that's my problem. A lot of times, I'll I can't keep the release moving. Once I get on target, it'll get going, get going. I'm like, okay, and then I lock up, and then it's like, okay, keep going, and then I lock up, and then finally, boom, and you're like, all right, I don't know if I can do that again. And then sometimes it's on the money, and other times yeah. I really got to talk myself through it. Um, and maybe we should talk about that since yeah, yeah, let's let's go, let's yeah, absolutely, so, Andy, say. So, so when you're about to, you know, you're at the moment of truth and you're about to take a shot on a, on a mature buck or whatever, what, tell us step-by-step step what you're saying in your head or what you practice in the backyard, actually saying out loud. Um, mm -hmm. like I, cause I know you have a process. I heard you talk about it on the, the, um, spartan forge get together i want i want to touch on that again because that's what i'm really into is getting over yeah. that hump yeah well i i was in the same spot as you you know back in like 2010 2011 i was really struggling with you know locking below the target and slapping the trigger and and i was dealing with target panic big time um then i kind of identified what I was doing and, and, and worked through it, got the help I needed and completely, completely redesigned the way I shoot. And it's just been, I mean, now, like I was really struggling back then to even enjoy archery because I was just screwing up so bad. You know, my target panic got so bad and then it made me fall in love with archery again. Once I was able to get through that and uh, develop a good shot execution process. But to answer your question, um, when I actually come to full draw, like the deer standing there in the, in the lane, I come to full draw and I'll draw the bow back. And then I just kind of naturally come to my anchor, touch my nose of the string. And then I, what I, the way I describe it is I splash the pin right on the spot. It doesn't matter if I'm shooting at a deer or if I'm shooting at a little circle in the backyard, 
I splash it on there. And what that means is I immediately put the pin right on the spot. I don't creep up to it. I don't bring it in from the side or down. I splash it on that spot. And then I'll just say, um, settle. And basically what that tells me is just like, just settle, just relax, you know? And then I'll say aim. And then it's basically what I'm telling myself is I'm walking through my, my myself through these steps. So I'll say settle, aim. And then as soon as I make the decision to like aim and I'm ready to execute the shot, then I start saying pull, 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 pull. And basically what I'm doing is I'm telling myself to physically do the movement that I want to achieve, which is pulling through the shot. So I use a handheld. My thumb is on the, on the trigger and I'm pulling like this. This is exaggerated, but I'm pull, 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 pull until the shot goes off. So when I'm, when I'm actually shooting at a deer, my thought process is very, very mechanical. It's, it's, I'm thinking of the actual physical things that I want to accomplish during that shot execution. And I'm not, I'm not thinking about like how big the deer is or, you know, this, I'm so nervous or gosh, I hope I make this shot. I actually kind of remove myself from that just for a moment and focus on the mechanics of my shot. And if that to me, it, it kind of, um, takes the anxiety away. It takes the anxiety of, um, the moment away. It takes the anxiety of like my pin movement. Um, the adrenaline and all that. And I'm just focusing on the mechanics of making a good shot because if I can make a good shot here, like in my person, make a good execution shot, the arrow is going to go where I want it to go.